good to be here, you guys. Thanks so much. It's, uh, it's, really, it's really good to be here. I, I, do, I do thought it was really cool that we've actually turned the air conditioner off and turned heating on just to show, just to show how tough we can be in here. That, that's not true. That's not true. Um, I do want you to make sure that you thank the people that have kind of pulled all this off. Um, I mean, this has been a goat rodeo to try to move the church up here and, and do this three services from two, and, and they've worked incredibly hard. The, the team back here, the logistics team, the worship team, I mean, absolutely hard work, and be sure to thank them for that if you would. Uh, this morning, and some of you might have even said this as you walked in the doors. you said, wait a minute, this isn't what I signed on for. This isn't what I signed on for. I mean, this is... And, and I hear that phrase all the time. I mean, as a counselor, a psychologist, I hear all the time people come in, a, a husband or a wife, they'll say that phrase. I, this isn't what I signed on for. Sometimes I'll hear parents say that about their kids. This isn't what I signed on for. Sometimes I'll hear kids say that about their parents. So, um, but it's that idea that I thought my story would go this direction, but instead it's, it's going another direction. And there's a way in which... Um, I often find myself wondering, how did, how did I get here? How did my story get to here? Now, if you want a good ending to your story, you have to be careful where you stop it. That's true with every story. If you stop some of the most wonderful stories of history and literature in the middle, it's not a great story, it's a tragedy. Where you stop a story will determine whether it's a good story, has a happy ending, or not. And we often find ourselves in our own stories, in our own lives, wondering what this great author who's writing these stories, what he's up to. And so this morning, I thought we'd look at a passage together that that gives advice to people who are in a place where they feel like, this isn't working. This isn't what I signed on for. This isn't what I thought it would be. This is not what I hoped it would be. Now, um, well, I'll tell you what. Before we talk about that, before we go to his word, before we talk about him, let's talk to him. Can we pray together? Let's pray. Father, you're the author of every story in this room. No one in this room is a surprise to you. The circumstances, the setting, the care, all the parts of their story, you know. And so would you meet us here? You know the people that feel like their story is a tragedy. You know the people who think their story is a comedy and chaotic. You know the people that just seem to be journaling struggle. You know the people that are in a fantasy. Father, we really want our stories to be about redemption. We want them to be connected to your grand story. So would you meet us here this morning... Would you use this time to remind us? Would you, would you use this time to shape us? Father, because you know all of us, you know all of our secrets. You know the people that fought on the way here. You know the people struggling with everything from finances to family. So take this time, take our lives. For the people in the room that are too comfortable, would you use this time to disrupt them? For the people that are disrupted, would you use this time to comfort them? We pray in the powerful, powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, 
before we look at that passage together, I'd like, I, I want to try to think with you about where our story fits with God's grand story. You know, God is, the arc of history is telling us this, this great story of creation, then fall. A savior, then redeeming all of creation and himself. The, the sanctification process as he, as he makes all things new up till finally denouement or the promised land or heaven. The book of Genesis begins in the garden and, and then there's the fall and that the arc of the entire Bible, the arc of all of history then ends in revelations and glory. Now, where do we fit in that? Where do we fit in that? Well, if you'd just bear with me for a second, I'd like to tell you a story. That at first glance, you'll think, I, does he know how hot it is in this room? <laughs> but stay with me for a second. I used to teach at a little college in Dayton, Tennessee. Bryan College. Dayton, Tennessee is a small town. Matter of fact, I mean, this would be more than the population of Dayton. I mean, they're, they're welcome to Dayton, and thank you for visiting signs on the same post. I mean, it is a, it is a small, you stick your head out the door, and you're, you're, out, you're out of the city limits. I, I'm, that's, anyway, um, that wasn't very funny, but I was trying. Um, but in this little town, there's a little Christian college. I worked there, and I, was a, I, taught, I taught psychology there years and years ago. Where it's a Sunday night, we're in, the, we're in church on Sunday night, and all of a sudden there's a rumor, the college is on fire. There's a buzz, and about half, all of us, many of us that were there that night worked at the college. It was the biggest employer in town, and, and so we, we kind of rushed up the hill. And sure enough, the main administration building of this college was engulfed in flames. Now, that may not be a big deal. That doesn't sound like a big deal to you. You say one building's going down. Well, this, built, this, this college only had this building, a small chapel, a gymnasium, and dorms. And this huge administration building consisted of the library, the cafeteria, all faculty offices, all classrooms, all labs, the administration, the registrar. It was all there. And so this building was an old, old, beautiful old building that was just, because of the, the materials that had been used years ago, was just going up like a, like a tinderbox. And there, there were some people thinking, maybe I can run, rush in and try to get some notes or get some things out. And, and, and it, was, it was too late. All the, the, the communities, the firefighters from all different counties nearby came. The news media from Chattanooga came up. And there was already talk about the college is going to have to close down. They're going to close this semester. But by the time I got up on the hill, the president of the college had already gotten there. His name was Bill Brown. And Bill looked around and said, don't worry. It's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. And we think, how is it going to be okay? The place is engulfed in flames. He said, it's going to be okay. And there were, there were some kids who were already calling home, planning to, to go back home that, that evening. Uh, there were people that were just, and some people were writing it all off. Bill was walking around telling everybody, don't worry, I got it. It's going to be okay. He said, we'll have a faculty meeting tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. It's the only faculty meeting I've ever wanted to go to in my life. Um, <laughs> we come up on the hill, and the hill still smells like smoke. It's still, there's still even a mist over, over, the, over this hill and a, uh, because this building had just been charred. And you could, it was palatable. You could, you could smell the, the carbon, the... the and, and there were still a few firefighters 
kind of trying to make sure that there was some the smoldering ruins were were done with. We met in the chapel, and the president of the college got up and said, three days from now, we'll start classes again. You'll need to find notes from students, because none of us have any notes. I, I actually found a student who took money at my class the year before and got his notes to teach the class. It was amazing how little were on these notes. I, <laughs> they obviously did not learn much the year before. I said, who was your professor? Oh, it was you. Okay. Um, we, we had to, but, but the, the, the president said, this will be a fine hour for Brian. We will have graduation in May. This was in February, if I remember correctly. We will have graduation in May. The kids who came here and paid tuition will get an education. This will stand. And, and the, the room was, part of it was excited about the possibility of being a part of this redemptive project, but a lot of people were, were and there were some professors who were kind of grumbled, and they were talking about, do we still have, you know, reserve parking? Um, and <laughs> there was a few that kind of poured Jesus syrup on it and talked about how wonderful it was. It, it's really silly sometimes when Christians try to make, when Christians try to make tragedy as if it's not a tragedy. A tragedy is still a tragedy. It's just redeemable. And, and so when, when there's a trauma in someone's life, don't act like it wasn't a trauma. Jesus didn't die on the cross that we could pretend. It's okay. The gospel's big enough for us to say that was a difficult time or that was a trauma. The truth of the gospel is that God is a redeemer, not that we can become pretenders. Anyway, we're in the room. There were a few of the pretender groups over there. There were a couple of grumblers over there. There were a few people that kind of thought it was all about them. And then there were a couple of people that thought, I get to be a part of this incredible, crazy situation. A catastrophic thing has happened. And I get to be a part of this place making it. Why do I tell you that story? If you don't understand that's where our story fits into God's story, you'll kind of live a smaller life. We, everyone in this room who knows Jesus, we enter in that grand story of redemption at that very moment. The crisis has already happened. The fall has happened. The Savior has already shown up. There has been a resurrection, and he has promised that he will redeem creation back unto himself. And now we're there. And you and I, our story fits in at that moment. If this were a movie, if this were like an epic movie, we would be coming in at the final fight scene. When, when, you know, when there's just chaos and, and you wonder, but you know, you know that, the, the, that, that good will prevail. And you're in the fight scene where, where you wonder who's going to be saved and who isn't. And who's going to end up being good at the end and who's going to end up being not found to be faithful to the task. And it's a, I mean, it's a, incre- that's, that's what great movies are made of. Do, do you understand you and I, that's where our story fits. We, we could have lived before Jesus came, and that would have been a fine time to live in the story. That would have been after the crisis, before the Savior physically showed up. We could have lived right when he showed up. That would have been an exciting time in one sense. But instead, we've been given this amazing part 
of the grand narrative of life, the grand narrative of redemption. And sometimes in the middle of that, I just look at my life and say, it's not seemed to be working out the way I thought. I didn't sign on for this. How can we live in this grand story at this grand moment? And before we look at the passage, before we looked at the passage together in Jeremiah, I just wanted you to be reminded where our story fits. Because if you forget where the story fits, you'll live a a smaller life. Now, don't misunderstand. It's not up to us to save everybody. It's God who's saving. God will redeem creation with or without our help. But So don't, don't misunderstand the phrase I'm about to say. But because where we sit in the story, we ought to try to save everybody who can in the process. Now, you know what I mean by that theologically. It's God that's saving. It's not up to us. But, but you know what I mean? There's a way in which your story fits into God's grand story of redemption right at this epic moment. You kind of bored with life? Look around at where you've been placed in the story of, of history. You're kind of bored of what you do? There's a, it's a battle scene taking place around us. And you've been invited to be a part of that. Now, the bad news is, if you want to be the star of the story, the star's already been taken. <laughs> and if you want, you can tell your story, and you can be the star of your own story. It'll last about 70 years, and nobody will remember it two decades later. Or you can realize you have a bit part in the grandest story of all. And you make, get to make a difference in how you live and love and relate and how we live in exile. That's going to be the context of how we look at the passage in Jeremiah. Now, you know Jeremiah. You know this, you know this passage. This part that we're going to look at ends with the verse that people put on pillows and ashtrays and ties <laughs> It's like, it's like, you know, it's one of those verses that whenever somebody graduates from high school, they'll say, Jeremiah 29, 11. And, and, it's, and, it's, and, it's, kind of, and it's kind of supposed to be a, I, I would, I'm going to suggest that Jeff do what I would call a pillow verse, you know, series where he just picks all these pillow verses and then puts them in context because they, they're so much richer in context than on our pillows and ashtrays. But enough said, this passage, you know, the, you know that this is what this is about. Jeremiah the people, the people that he's prophesying to, the, the people of God, the, the children of God are in exile in Babylon. And they don't like it. They're disgruntled. They want to go back home. They want to go where they belong. And there's a false prophet or false prophets who are saying, hey, this won't last long. Everything's going to be okay. It's going to be great. Um. And, and they're saying, matter of fact, to use Jeremiah's word, they're saying peace, peace, when there really is no peace. So Jeremiah writes directly to them, beginning in verse four of this chapter. And we're going to look at Jeremiah's words to the people in exile. Jeremiah's words to the people that are saying, hey, I didn't sign on for this. I didn't sign up to be in the wrong place. I didn't sign on for this. The people that are disgruntled, people that are wondering, can there, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live in this place? I'd like to read to you, Jeremiah, if you want to follow along, it's in your bulletin. Jeremiah 29, starting with verse four, it says this. Thus say the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. 
build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus say the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it's a lie that they're prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise and I will bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declare the Lord. Plans of welfare, not for evil, to give you future and hope. That promise that we often have on our pillows, when it was written in context, some of the people hearing it, It was for their grandchildren and children. 70 years from now, I'm going to pull you out. I'm going to bring you home. What do we do in the meantime? How do we live in the meantime? How do we live in that moment when we're waiting for for what we know we're made for? We're uncomfortable. We wish it were different. I think there's some real practical advice for us. The first thing, note at the very beginning of this section, where it says, build your houses, plant your gardens. Simple way to, 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 if I wanted to just take that little paragraph and say, put a phrase to that, it would be, grow where you're planted. God's placed you in Babylon, now live there. And live there with some sense of permanence. Don't decrease, increase. Now that's not a That's not an idea that God wants everybody to be rich and drive big cars. That's not what that's saying at all when it talks about increase. It talks about, what what does it say about increase? We've just been talking about your families, about husbands, take take wives and children. So so don't, don't, you know, if you're a literalist, when you read this, you'll go, I'm supposed to get a garden. I'm supposed to literally build a house. And you know, and, and make sure my children, though they're very young right now, need to get married right now and have children. Um, and, but, but, but understand it. What, what, what is it saying to us? Saying, you don't like being in Babylon, I know. I brought you there. It's not what you're made for. You don't like it. But grow where you're planted. Live where I have you. So many people spend so much time talking about what's God's will for your life. And I don't know what your God's will for your life is in terms of vocation. But I know what it is in exile. Grow where you're planted. To live, live your life and build your houses and plant your gardens. Be, be a good family man, family woman. Raise your children. Have family. Grow where you're planted. I've spent so much of my life looking behind my back saying, do I wish I were? I, I, I don't, you, my confession to you is I have probably have a phrase that says, I would only be happy if, and I keep adding new things to that blank. And God, God is saying, listen, grow where you're planted. 
That's where I have you. Now, don't, that doesn't mean if you're in an abusive situation, you're supposed to stay there. And that doesn't mean that, that you should never change your job. And it doesn't mean you're never supposed to. You know, just hear the principle. You in exile? You don't like where your story's going? Are you planted? Are you growing where you're planted? Second thing to note, be a good citizen. What, what does it say? It says, pray for, the, pray for where you live, because when it prospers, you'll prosper. <coughs> what, what's that telling us? Be a good citizen. You know, be a good neighbor. I don't think my neighbors like me. I leave, I leave our garbage cans out way too long. Um, but if you leave them out long enough, then you can just carry the bags directly from the house out to and place them in the, the cans that are out at the street that are already there. It just, why go to the trouble of dragging them back in and then back out when you can just carry the bags out to them? And whenever my neighbors see that, they go, I don't think we like him. Now, I don't think this passage is speaking much about that. But I do think that this passage is telling me, be a good citizen. Be a good neighbor. I pray for the welfare of the city you live in, because when it prospers, you prosper. Be a good neighbor. You know, one of the criticisms of us is that we're just not, we just don't, we're just against everything. One of the criticisms of Christians is we're just not good citizens. We're just not good neighbors. I'm not suggesting we don't stand for the things that matter to us. Of course we do. But the, the, the passage says, build your houses, plant your gardens, have families, increase, don't decrease, and then pray for your, pray for your community because when it prospers, you'll prosper. Be a good citizen. Just real practical. Are you a good citizen? Are you a good neighbor? Sometimes we know people better on Facebook than we do the person right next door to us. We're two doors down. Are we good neighbors? Be a good citizen, my fellow, um, fellow exile you know, people in exile. What would be an, ex, an exilian, an exilian? Well, never mind. Third, listen to the, not only do you want to grow, grow where you're planted, not only do you want to be a good citizen, there's then a warning of who you listen to. There's a warning. He says, be careful about these prophets and these, these people that are saying they're, they're speaking for me because they're really not. Now, in this day, specifically, he's talking about people that are kind of feel-good prophets. Well, we still have those. We still have people that are, that are preaching a gospel of, of easy, a gospel of no cost in any way of, kind of, 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 of how we would choose to love others care. We have people that basically are telling us to just pretend. I mean, don't you know that sometimes the, the criticism of our Christian communities, the criticism of our churches is that we're not honest and we just say, peace, peace, when there is no peace, just like the people in Jeremiah. Remember, I said it a few minutes ago, Jesus didn't die on the cross so we could pretend. His precious blood didn't shed, wasn't shed so we could go around and, and pretend. The truth of the gospel is big enough. Big enough to deal with where your story is at this moment. And the, and the prophet that's saying, 
oh, it won't be long, it won't be long, it won't be long, everything's great. That's a feel-good prophet. There's a warning to the people in exile because ultimately that feel-good prophet, will give you, it'll make you feel good for a little bit, but as the time goes on, the weight of life, the weight of exile will crash that feel-good prophet. Everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be great. The struggles, the loneliness, the betrayal, that'll all, that'll all crush that cheap prophecy of, of ease. But, you know, there is a danger also in our culture of the other extreme prophet. And, and, and the, the idea here, I think Jeremiah is saying, be careful of false prophets. And I think in our culture, you've got two of those in the church. You've got the super feel-good prophets, and then you've got the super legalistic prophets. And in both cases, they kind of think it's all about you. These people kind of think it's all about, it's all about your comfort and your happiness, that the gospel is just about you. And these people, they think it's all about you to be better. That you, that, and, and therefore, they kind of put all the burden on, on, on everything on you. And it's a, it tends to be a pretty legalistic type of prophet. And I find that the, the two prophets that I think Jeremiah would, though clearly speaking against this type of prophet here, the two prophets that in our, in our age we need to be careful of are the two extremes on each side. Because in both cases, they make the gospel about you. They make the story about you and not the ultimate story about God's meta story. His narrative of hope, his narrative of redemption, his narrative of life. And they make their story about about how they are going to get everything they want or about how they can be good enough to, to earn everything they want. Both of those are false prophets. So, as we, as we live a life that feels sometimes like we're in exile, remember, first, grow where you're planted. Second, remember to be a good citizen. Third, be careful where you get your information. Be careful that you don't fall off the side of the feel-good prophets or the it's all up to you to, be, to pull yourself up by your bootstrap prophets. Lastly, I want you to look at the reminder at the end to remember that his promise is true. Abraham waited two decades before Jesus, before God the Father shows up in Genesis 17 and says, I will do what I said. I will, I will, I will. In this case, it's a whole generation. It's 70 years They will live in exile. Listen to the words. Thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. The fourth thing thing I want you to get from this text is to remember the promise. You know, there's a minor theme throughout scripture about remembering. Because we are very fickle. And there's a minor theme throughout scripture that that talks about the the way that we're supposed to remember. Even to the point in the the Lord's Supper, the purpose is, one of the purposes of that sacrament is to do this in remembrance of me, to remember what he's done, 
to remember. The theme throughout the, the, the Exodus story is the people forgetting what it was like to be a slave and, and wanting to go back there. They just had a problem remembering. So the last thing I would suggest that God wants to tell you when you're in exile, when you're looking at your story and you're saying, this isn't going the way I want it. This isn't working out quite the way I expected. This isn't what I signed up for to remember. It may be 70 years. It may be for your children and your, or your children's children. But the promise is true. You, you guys know my life and my family, and I, I've got, I'm just really blessed beyond possible by, by all means. I have probably prayed for my son Skyler's healing for many, much of his life. He's now 26, and he's been autistic his whole life. And um, I, I prayed for his healing. I took him to the elders of my church, asked them to anoint him with oil and pray for him. Because that's what it says to do in the Bible. So I said, yeah, I just want my son to be okay. But I want to tell you, the authority of what I hear when I listen to the words from Jeremiah, someday he will heal him. I was hoping he'd be on this side of heaven. I'm guessing probably not. But the truth is, someday he will. Someday he will walk fully clothed in his right mind. Someday he will. The promise is true. Remember, the promise is true. And as I, as I live in exile with you, and sometimes wonder what God is up to, and sometimes I forget where my story has been invited to be a part of his story. Sometimes when I get discouraged, hear him whisper. Hear him whisper. My promises are true. Remember. 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 This week, as you go, as you live your life this week, remember that the God of the universe knows where you are, knows where you are in your story. He knew they were in Babylon. He put them there. He hasn't forgotten you. He's not mad at you. And his advice to you is grow where you're planted. Build your houses, live in them. Plant your gardens and eat the fruit. Take care of your relationships family. Be a good citizen. Be a good citizen. Be careful what you listen to because the false prophet of it's all, everything's going to be over in just a minute and everything's going to be wonderful. They'll ultimately discourage you, not encourage you. Or the prophets that say it's all about you. If you just work hard enough, you'll get everything you want from him. Don't listen to those because they'll discourage you. And then last, he wanted to remind you this morning that he will. And his promises are true. And someday, 
someday, someday, he will. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the reminder. Thank you for the reminder of your, your calling on our lives, that we're, we're not accidental, that our lives aren't random. The reminder that you have put us in your story at a grand and important time. Give us the courage to believe that you want us to be a part of your redemptive story and remind us this week to grow where we're planted. Remind us this week to be good citizens. Remind us this week to be careful where we listen. And most of all, remind us to remember all your truth and all your promises. In Christ's name we pray, amen.